Friendless is presented by the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. Welcome back, my sweet babies. It's me, your intrepid host, James Avermanko, back with a brand new episode of Friendless, the only podcast about me attempting to lose all my Facebook friends one hour at a time. This week, I have my old Aliens director, Joshua Beaudry, on the show. We discuss fighting with strangers online, seeking validation through art, creating alter egos to spark creativity, breaking imposter syndrome through routine, finding the bravery to sing in public, and what it takes to be a good friend going into 2021. A super quick note, um, I accidentally screwed up the recording of this episode and recorded my side of the interview off my computer microphone, not my regular microphone, so you will notice I'm a little more echoey. I've tried my best to clean it up, but uh, just bear with me. It is only for this week, and it was too good of an interview to just scrap altogether, so um, forgive me, please. Be kind. Be gentle with me. (laughs) Anyway, let's jump right into the episode. Here is my interview with the one and only Joshua Beaudry here on Friendless. All right. So here we go, man. uh, So I've got this week, I have Joshua Beaudry. And I got to say, before before I let you speak, I got to say, I have been wanting you on the show for almost since... Like, actually, not almost, like, literally since the start of the show. So this is super exciting that I finally get you on here and we, we get to chat. So welcome to Friendless, my guy. Thank you, James. Thank you. I've wanted <laughs> to be on here for a long time, too. I've been listening from the very first uh, Sky Brandon episode. Yeah. And uh, I think I've got every episode. Some I listen to more than once, even. Wow. Uh, yes. But um, I, I wanted to come on. But who's going to laugh? Uh, or like my comment when I say meh to people's uh, they're taking Christmas away comments. <laughs> you know, this is actually one of the dilemmas of the show, especially with somebody like you, who like not only do I consider a, you know a friend in person, but uh, we have a really fun engagement online, yeah. and so it's one of those things that I like. I'm I've been hesitant to have you know to have you on because I I like how we interact online, and so I don't want to lose that part of it. <laughs> you know, but uh, I have inst like I think I have Instagram, and I have, but I don't ever use them. Like I've right. We did once and i there's too much pressure to be clever or at least right. I that. so yep. i can't do it i love it i love it yeah well and it's funny because for me i mean as you've encountered i mean that's probably one of the classic interactions that we had is is uh i find that facebook now is no longer about you know wit or intelligence or humor it's all about just like a sledgehammer of conspiracies <laughs> and um, and so it's exhausting you know and it's like i have no i just have no energy left to engage with anything like that and so i'm just like very rapidly pulling away from the entire thing you know but i still see you and i and i and i uh i I don't know what the right word for it is is it like i'm proud of you or 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 is it that i feel a little bad that you're still engaging with them it should be both i think (laughs) right yeah yeah my my mother has told me that i uh that i sound crazy 
<laughs> because I'm always interacting with people on, you know, CTV or yeah. their, their like their Facebook posts in the comment section. And I don't, yeah. it's an addiction for me and I should, and I need to stop. I know it's not healthy. My mom tells me, yeah, I sound crazy. But then, you know, I'd, I ran into somebody who said, uh, you don't know me, but I know you cause I've seen you on stage before. And, um, I have to say, I love your comments on Facebook. You wow. Know, and that's terrible. I mean, it's good. I like <laughs> because it reinforced my idea that somebody's got to say it, but mm-hmm. no, it's not good. It's, you know, it's one of those things that like, um, because so much of these arguments are in bad faith, right? They're not logic based. They're not fact based. They're purely emotional and irrational. And so when you come at it with what you're hoping to be, you know, pragmatic discussion, what ends up happening is you end up sounding like the crazy person because you're, you're so oppositional to this a fallacy that's going on and that's and that's one of these behaviors that is so um what's the word it's like it's almost like it's like vertigo it's like it 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 gives people who are trying to be rational this sudden burst of irrationality and they don't know what to do with it and so it it kicks their you know fight or flight in in and it and it makes everything just go nuts and like you know again it's why i've had to just pull myself away from it because i um you know early on i used to fight with people but then i'd look back and i'd be like james you're an asshole like you thought you're fighting the good fight but really you look like a complete prick so you need to just back up and just like live and let live you know but yeah or to think that the comment section, this is what I'm trying to tell myself these days, the comment section does not reflect society. Not even a little. No. Yeah, I, I, I mean, at least I hope so. I mean, that's that's the other yeah. thing is that it's like we are seeing how vitriolic and, and ugly people can allow themselves to be in person. So who knows if it's real or not, right? But, uh, um, but on a lighter note, <laughs> why don't we... <laughs> so why don't we kind of... Um, so, you know... It's been it's been a it's been a really tough you know year year and a half for you and I in that we've barely seen each other even though we're literal blocks away from each other mm-hmm. and um, so realistically realistically speaking where I think we could probably sort of like end the story would be somewhere along the lines of when we um, when we worked on the aliens um, but when we if we're ending there, what I'd like to do is I'd like to double back and I'd like to talk about what got you to directing that show. Um, as a little filler, um, The Aliens by Annie Baker was a play that uh, that Josh directed in 2019, and uh, I had the honor of being one of the one of the actors in, and it was it was unquestionably one of, if not the best theater experience I've ever had as an actor, and um, and. Uh, so, so like I say, I'd like to get us to the aliens, and I guess where we start with that is um, what sort of got you into wanting to be a theater creator? Like, who uh, who tricked you into saying that it was a life worth living? Oh, uh, <laughs> probably my uncle, because uh, it's arts related. He was a film director in Winnipeg. He is a film director in Winnipeg, and he was a writer. And uh, so, in grade three. I got cast in a, a national film board film called Snow Angels, which was like a something they would play at school about winter safety for kids. You know, don't walk on the snow ridges at the side of the road because you might fall and a car could run over your head. And I got out of school for two weeks 
and uh, I believe I got some money from it. Uh, but nice. parents, I got out of school for two weeks and ate donuts, and uh, it was amazing. And that's got to be something to be said for one of the best parts of being on a film set is the arts, like the, the craft services. Oh, I just want to call it arts and crafts, but it's like craft services is incredible. I, I can't tell you how many times I've been an extra on something, not even appeared on camera. I've just sat all day eating. Well, they got to you somehow because that 12 hours of standing around can get exhausted too. Exactly. Who knew that doing nothing could be so difficult? It's exhausting, though. Like, it really is. Like, waiting to be like, do you like me? Do you like me now? Now do you like me? <laughs> yeah, I think that would... So that would that would be my first uh, experience. I probably decided at around that point. And I, I did it with my cousin, uh, Alicia. And uh, I think she's an actor, too, now. Um, so it sparked something in both of us. And then I, mm. I played a mad dentist um in elementary school and everybody laughed and i think that's when i realized i really Uh-oh. was being the the center of attention yeah isn't that isn't that so true though is that you know it's funny i feel like if artists are being really true with themselves yeah. it's like oh i got into the arts because i liked people looking at me and like more <laughs> often than you know and like more often than not and i say this with no vitriol towards parents but like more often than not it's like oh i wasn't getting the validation i craved from my family so i had to seek it in strangers <laughs> you know yeah well and i also feel like i have somehow and it's so weird more charisma acting than in life like sure. i'm not a nice person or whatever that you know like in like people engage with me but mm-hmm. I, I feel like i have more confidence on stage than i do in life because mm-hmm. i sort of hide behind that that role you know that's actually something that um a drama teacher of mine in high school talked about because i i um I had been in a couple of plays already, you know, in, 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 in you know, the, the school play and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And then in my grade 12 year, I was picked to host the, uh, the talent show. And just before I was getting up, I had a massive, like my first big legitimate panic attack. And I was like on the floor, paralyzed, could mm-hmm. not move. And he was basically talking me down by saying, (laughs) in retrospect, I don't know if this is really the thing to be telling a child who's freaking out, but but what he was saying was that the reason you're scared is because you're afraid that they'll judge you for the first time. Because when you go on stage and you're a character, if, if the audience doesn't like it, you can still protect yourself by saying they don't like the character or they don't like the direction, or they don't like the script, or whatever it might be. But when you're on stage being yourself, and they don't like you, then they don't like you, you know? (laughs) And and I was like, yeah, thanks. Okay, I'd like to work on breathing again now. Yeah, hey, that works. I I, I remember doing improv, and we would play Switch all the time. Mm -hmm. I just didn't like it. I just don't know why. Especially, like, if it's, like, a quick warm-up intro sort of game, a lot of the time, it's just like you're looking for that one click, quick, clever moment, or you know, that's what we're doing. And um, I had a character that I would play because we were a character-based improv mm-hmm. uh, named Simon. And so what I would do is I would play Switch as Simon. <laughs> he, wasn't, he wasn't scared to just go up and do anything. Like, and, and then I would try and tell myself that, like, I can do that. 
but somehow it wouldn't, it, it just didn't transfer. Yeah, that's actually a thing that a lot of, I've read lots about this idea of artists needing an alter ego in order to achieve their their sort of maximum potential. Mm. It's why, it's why you know, it's sort of the thought behind um, creating like, whether it's like, you know, a nom de plume, or whether it's creating like a rap alter ego, you know, it's like, it's not, you know, Curtis Jackson doesn't get on stage, it's 50 Cent who gets on stage, yeah. you know, or whatever it might be, you know, and, uh, you well, know, famously, yeah. right, right, uh, you know, famously, um, um, Beyonce, you know, even though she's fucking Beyonce, she she used to pretend to be Sasha Fierce, right? And that's right. why, you know, and um, and it's this thought of, or, you know, I mean, my favorite one, and this is because I'm a massive nerd, but like, you know, Bob Dylan, right? That's not his name. He's Robert Zimmerman, you know, and, right. and uh, but Bob Dylan could do it. In, and, and especially at the start of his career, he made up all these stories about who Bob Dylan was. And, you know, he played down and, you know, he played all across this country and he rode the rails and he was this character that he was playing until it sort of became real for him and then it became second nature and um and it's this thing of of yeah creating this this alter ego that allows you to actually pursue it again with the sort of the safety net of not being judged for yourself you know so i would be you know i would be josh Beaudry, not james evermanko and if you like josh Beaudry, then 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 it's right you know And, and uh and uh, and I, it's funny actually. I've always sort of wished I had come up with something earlier. Because <laughs> now I feel like it's too late, you know. <laughs> so I think that's just what got me into theater. And, yeah. Uh, and then and then in high school uh, we did uh, uh, oh, what is it? It's a, the Les Misérables, but oh yeah, okay. Not the musical. We did like the play version of it. And okay. I played uh, Bamet Abois, which was this guy who um, he, yeah, who is it that cuts her hair? It's not Cassette. I can't remember. But he, somebody's screaming right now. They know the name. Uh-huh. The right. after and talked about her hair. And I don't know, I dirtied my teeth up. And uh, nice. it went really well. It went over really well. And my friend, Bill Letourneau, who was like my first Saskatoon friend, um, and he was a jaded, he can be quite jaded and, mm. and kind of cynical and sort of mean spirited. And that's his humor. And okay. uh, so basically an honest person. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, fair enough. Okay. He, he was like, you know, I thought you were going to be shit, but you were pretty good. And nice. so that then uh, and I and I would do terribly in school. Ter- terrible awful yeah um just because i i could i i had add and i couldn't stand and i i would just get distracted never do my assignments and then i would like read whatever material the morning of a test and i would get enough to pass yes um because i could retain the information really quickly yeah at least enough to just get through. That's I, buddy. You're speaking to the converted right there. That's that's how I got through all of school, all the way through university. Even I, I like I had to just fake it until I squeaked through. I did not do as well in in university, which is crazy because in high school, my guidance counselor said, "Once you get to university, you can study what you like." You know. <laughs> yeah, but it's how you study. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then again, like just not focused. Um, yeah. And so I would skip my classes all the time. I was oh, yeah. working on a Dwayne Brenna play yesterday. And 
<laughs> and I, what's so funny is that I feel I'm probably one of the only people to ever get an incomplete, complete failure in first year acting class. Um, so did you, now you studied at the U of S, correct? Yes. Nice. Nice. And I studied. And, yeah. <laughs> you were occasionally present at the U of S. Is that yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so once you got out, um, um, did you like go straight into acting or did you would, like, how did you kind of, cause I always feel like Saskatoon, the sort of act, Saskatoon acting and, you know, art, art scene in general, is always a bit of a mishmash of like, some people seem to like come out the gates and get a professional contract like that same year. And then yeah. some people, it feels like it takes them a real a surprisingly long time, especially for the talent level uh, that they bring. It takes them a surprisingly long time to break in, you know. And and so, what was what was your experience with that? Yeah, well, I, uh, my last year was ninety eight, <laughs> and um, my first professional show was in two thousand and one. Uh, okay, which was at Shakespeare in the Saskatchewan. So a good three years. Yeah. Um, and then my like my next like really big sort of. Then I got one the year after that. And then my first, I joined Equity in 2006. Okay. It, it, I was not like out of the gates. Like, you know, I was not getting the work right away. But yeah. I was always working. So I got cast in what was called the Young Company, unrelated to Persephone. It happened, it happened at Shakespeare in the Saskatchewan. And it was sort of unaffiliated. They used to have a second tent and we would do uh, shows in their, in their Billy tent after the main stage show ended. Um, and so we do, uh, you might rehearse for two weeks and put on a play and we had to work so fast and make decisions so quickly, uh, that I feel like that was my biggest learning, uh, I did my most learning there. <laughs> that was the worst sentence ever. But uh, no, I, I, it makes complete sense. I think that that's like I think that that's the thing that is really lost in 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 acting and in art programs in general. It's the thing that I feel like I missed out on when I went to theater school. Was this like you don't learn like okay? It's very important to know theater history and it's very important to know theater theory. I think those two things are very fundamental knowledge bases that you should have. At the same time, though. I think you do not get better unless you do it. Mm -hmm. And so the arguments of, well, they're not good enough. They need to get better. It's like, well, you have to cast them so that they can get better. Or you have to create opportunities where they can do it to get better. Because it's not like, um, I don't know. I mean, it's, there's no such thing as a job where you can just learn it and do it. You have to practice. It's yeah. why they have, you know, it's why they have, practicums it's why they have apprenticeships it's why every other job gives you practical application time in your education and i just i hate this like streamlining of like oh if you didn't get in once then you will never learn how to do it and we will always bar you from it you know like get fucked yeah i mean I, and i feel like i you wrestle and i was going to talk about this later you sort of wrestle with things but like I feel like as I get older, I get better. Yes. Um, and, but I, I feel like I was always fairly strong, but then I would, but there's like key moments where you leap forward depending yes. on, you know, experiences. But for most of that was working with uh, really great directors. 
Yeah. And now, so, so speaking of directing, I, I hate to sort of like fast forward a little bit, but I'd really like to hear about how you got involved with uh, directing the aliens right. and how, like, how did that sort of uh, from, you know, from your early, early years into getting into, into that, that uh, project? Well, so sort of, uh, um, like I was just saying, working with really great directors, yeah, started to feel like, and and people listening might go, if I know them, was this me? Is this not me? Um, mm. <laughs> but um, I don't feel like there's that many really strong directors out there. Sure. And I feel like a lot of the time, people are just making arbitrary choices. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, so much, so much of it is very rudimentary, right? Cause it's very, um, what's the word for it? It's like, um, yeah, arbitrary, you know what? You nailed it. Arbitrary. It's this idea of like, well, we have to just be able to see you. So stand there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I don't understand the perspective that people come from sometimes. Mm. So, uh, working with directors who have really great communication skills and can really sort of explain something to me, um, had a big impact. And then I think the more I worked with them, the more I wanted to do it myself. Um, yeah, yeah. I, and, and then it's always a struggle for me because I also want to act, but I also want to direct. And I feel like some people, they want to do one more than the other. And I really want to do both. Um, yeah. Um, and, uh, Persephone has this program where they, or they, I don't know if they still do this cause I haven't done it for quite a long time, but when they were looking at new shows, they would get together, uh, the, uh, artistic associates, the artistic director, general manager, and a few invited actors would read, uh, different scripts. And I actually mm. read the ladder, 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 ladder scene. Right, you uh, did the KJ part. Yeah, yeah. The KJ part, and I and somebody had uh, shown me the show before and suggested that uh, my uh, my theater company that I uh, have with some other people um, that we produce it. So right. I, but it wasn't going to happen. So I was really excited when it was on when I saw Persephone uh, putting it forward. And I don't know if that sort of seeded the idea that I might be a good fit for that. I don't know how that worked out because I've been directing for six years before I got that chance. Yeah, I mean, it's it was such a good kismet, kismetic moment. It feels like because it was, um, yeah, just speaking from an actor's perspective. Um, uh, and we'll, I feel like we'll actually t- touch on this a little bit further on in in, in some of the questions. But um, but I just I know that from from my perspective as an actor, it was such a um, I don't even know what the right word for it was. It just felt like the perfect confluence of people working on the show at that time, you know, and, and my experience with you as a director was so fulfilling and engaging. And I, and I just loved like, you know, speaking of, you know, talking about how to talk to someone, how to get what you want out of somebody and how it wasn't just stand there to be looked at. It was, why are you here? And then when we would talk about stuff, you would do this thing where you would you would clarify i don't know i don't even know what it was but you would clarify the line in this way where it would just snap things you know it would be little switches and it was just uh you know yeah it was i don't again i I don't even have the exact words for it i just remember i would leave rehearsal and i'd be like wow like i don't even know what happened i was just in it you know and and, uh, it's really powerful it's really powerful experience well thank you very much um 
you know, I think of, I worked with um, Nieko Ochi, uh, who's a Calgary uh, director and writer. Mm -hmm. And um, we we were working on a show called Roots and uh, she was demonstrating something for me. So she was, she kind of acted it like a little bit. It wasn't a line reading, but it was just like a thought process. And something's never been clearer like just see mm. and i thought like she's got skills why shouldn't she use that skill to like help me discover this moment mm-hmm. um people frown on that kind of thing i'm not saying she she wasn't saying say it exactly like this she was just demonstrating a sort of version of that yes um, yeah well and that, that's what it always felt like it never felt like a line read although i will say i'm the kind of actor and the kind of director who will straight up give a line read i don't give a fuck yeah. because it's like if you're not getting the thing that i want i'm going to tell you the thing i want and like and like i i hate this like that's the actor's job it's like well but if they're not doing their job <laughs> you know like, yeah. I'm, I'm sure i'm wrong about it but fuck it who cares <laughs> nobody's letting me direct anyway <laughs> You know, the real the real central core of this show in general has been my exploration of, of myself. That, I mean, um, I, I feel like it sometimes sounds selfish to be like, I'm learning about me. But it's like uh, the very central question of this show is, have I been a good friend? And have I, you know, have I caused more good than bad throughout my life? I don't think anybody escapes unscathed, but it's like, have I, have I at least tried to weigh the scales properly, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, and so what I've been asking everybody and what I will ask you is, um, at the very core of it, how would you define friendship? Oh, uh, it's hard, right? Because I feel like there's so many levels to friendship. Like totally. I could be friends with anybody as long as they're nice. Um, yeah, I can be friends with people. And and some of that friendship might gear into acquaintances. I've been working out at a gym and um, there's been a few people who have struck up conversations and we've exchanged names. And now when I see them, I call them by their name and they call me by their name. And uh, no, they don't call me by their name. Right? <laughs> hey, Frank. Hi, Frank. <laughs> but, uh, but I really like engaging with these people because I think because we have nothing really in common except for this like gym experience and how often do I get out of my like art theater bubble um so that's really nice um but friendship I think is like true friendship um is support and kindness and thoughtfulness and yeah and generosity yeah it's it's interesting that you know uh, it's it's the, the, the sort of tenets of friendship I find don't really change that much, no matter what age you're in, no matter what technological state you're in. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it all really comes down to some very core key elements. I find for me, what I'm, what I'm finding, especially these days is the challenge of implementing that. Right. Yeah. Cause there's, there's, there's one thing to know it's good to be empathetic right yeah it's a whole other thing to know how to implement that on a daily continual spectrum right and and with the state of 
the world and the state of, of conversation and the state of how we interact. Like, I guess the thing that I'm struggling with the most, um, is, is how to implement things that I wish I could do more easily. Mm. You know, I wish I could care more easily about people who clearly don't care about me, right. Yeah. Or whatever it might be. Yeah. I, I know that, uh, like, I've found that through this pandemic, I've been periodically reaching out to some people who I think might want that. Um, right. Um, yeah, just to talk every once in a while. And what's strange is I've had uh, messages from people who I haven't been in contact with for a long time who said, I was just thinking about you the other day and wanted to see if you're doing okay. And like, that's friendship. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. You know, I, I, again, I think, I think, you know, I think my personal exploration, I'm not sure if it's entirely universal or if it's really the culmination of a lot of my neuroses and a lot of my own sort of, you know, mental and emotional hangups of, the, of this idea of the anxiety of re potential rejection and the idea that, um, it's not hard to say hello, you know, it's not, it's not hard to reach out to people. But for me, there's this fear that they won't want to hear from me. And then I'll reach out and I'll be, I'll feel dumb mm. because they didn't want to hear from me. And that's why we hadn't talked in 10 years. Right. You know, and I am finding very, very generally, I mean, you know, there's the occasional hiccup here or there, but on the, on the whole, generally speaking, people are very receptive to someone kindly reaching out to them right and yeah. just seeing how they're doing and i think that that's something that i would i need to internalize better on myself but i think it's something that i would definitely share with anybody is like if you are thinking about someone you should let them know yeah you should say hello right you should reach out and just say something nice it doesn't have to be you don't have to have a big long in-depth catch-up just say hello and and say something nice to them well, this is such an extreme example of that. But how many times have you heard stories of like, I was thinking of killing myself and then somebody called me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. So yeah. I, yeah, I definitely believe in those moments. Um, yeah. It's definitely another thing too about this idea of, um, I think we perceive other people's lives as going better than they actually are. Yeah. It's something that I've been really on a lot lately is this idea of, you know, like, there is no one in this world who's having an easy time. No. You know, like even the people that you're telling yourself like, oh, they're on easy street, they're skating, they're doing this or that. It's like, no, no, no. There isn't a soul on earth right now who's having an easy time. So every time you see somebody posting something joyful on, on Instagram or something positive on Facebook, I, I worry that our 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 habit and our tendency is is to lean towards jealousy and resentment <laughs> and i and i wish we could lean more towards joyful appreciation of that yeah you know and, and celebrate with them rather than wish it was us and not them we all have i think in the arts world imposter syndrome how bad is your imposter syndrome? Oh, uh, I mean, it depends on the day, right? It's it depends on like what I ate that morning. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, you know, I think I think for me, um, when I'm in my routines, right? Because I've I've through years of experimenting with you know daily art creation, daily writing, and all this kind of production, and and sometimes putting it in public and sometimes keeping it private. What I've learned is that when I'm deep in my routines and I know 
I will meditate and then I will journal and then I will write a poem and then I will write a short story. Like when I know my morning, I don't get lost in that. Okay. I, I, I trust myself as I'm working and, and as I allow myself to work. It's when I am quiet, right? It's when I'm still and it's when I'm not working on the thing that I'd like to be doing. That's when I tell myself, well, you shouldn't be working on that anyway because you, you suck. Right. You know, it's, you know, uh, it's, it's, you know, I never feel worse about my writing than when I'm reading a book and I read a lot. So, (laughs) you know, um, or like, uh, the worst for me is, is trying to get to sleep. Right. Like I, I can't tell you how many nights I, you know, I mean, cause they're literally most nights I'm, I'm lying awake thinking about what I didn't write that day or what I didn't create this week or where I thought my life would be by now or what I would have accomplished if I only had done this or had that or been given this opportunity. Right. And so I don't, I, you know, I I don't know if it's necessarily like I hear lots about imposter syndrome and I, and I, and I believe in it and I know I've experienced it. And I, I feel less like I don't deserve to be an artist and more like, I don't deserve to be celebrated. And so it's not that I, you know, it's like, it, to me, it's like, I always find that the, 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 the language around it is, is lacking for what I'm feeling about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, um, it's not that I don't deserve to try and make, it's that I have yet to make something that's worth celebrating. <laughs> right. That's your feeling. Yes, that's how I feel. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I'm not saying that's yeah. real. I'm just saying that you know, my dumb, my dumb brain is telling me that, right? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, because I feel like that periodically too. I feel like sometimes the 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 notion that like maybe maybe people are just yeah maybe people are just humoring me maybe yeah. it's horrible. Um, oh my god! A lot of the yeah, time that just I've I don't mind that so much because I feel like that's what kind of pushes me to keep working. Yes. Like rather than shutting me down. But yeah. Uh, but your work ethic uh, around writing is incredible. Oh, thanks. Yeah. yeah. It's really inspiring. I, I just play a lot of video games when I'm working, I'm working, but if yeah. my career was like what you make, if you go out and make it, um, I don't know. Well, I, yeah, that's in lieu of this year. I'm, you know, who knows? Maybe yes. I'm, well, and that's the other, well, I that's it that. right there. That's the other part of it is this whole thing of like, well, what would I be if 2020 hadn't happened? Yeah. You know? And, and so there's this whole new, what if mental gymnastic course that I have to run, you know, of like, well, if I hadn't been locked down since March, who knows where we would be, you know, but, yeah. uh, Connexus Credit Union is all about their members. Improving their financial well-being drives everything they do. And that's not something they say. That's something I say. (laughs) It's a promise that's delivered by over 900 employees across Saskatchewan. Their employees are members too, and they've been there. So they're committed to making your money work for you. The banking industry needs to change, and Connexus is changing it for everyone. Because Conexus cares. Visit Conexus.ca to learn more. What is your most vivid memory of our friendship? Uh, 20 cheeseburgers. 
31. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. On your birthday. Yeah. Yeah, that mountain oh. of cheeseburgers. It's a it's a great moment. Oh, um man. Also, uh, you, uh, you, the three of you singing. So, I mean, again, it's all like aliens related because those comes out of rehearsals. But yes, uh, um, yeah, I got to say it's our time doing doing the aliens. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, that's exactly for me, too. Like that, that month was the best month of um you know, it was the best month of my time in Saskatoon at a minimum. Yeah. Um, it was probably the best month of my life since, since like, you know, leaving Vancouver kind of thing, you know, and like sort of leaving my old, old friends. Like it was definitely a moment where I felt so included, you know, and I felt so seen and validated and, um, and, but, but more than just that, it like, it was obviously, it was a personal satisfaction. And then on top of that, it was a, it was a creative satisfaction because I felt so proud of what we created together. And it felt like a, it felt like a collective and it felt like a team, you yeah. know? And, and, uh, I mean, it's why it broke my heart that so few people saw it and there was such a vitriol around it because I was just like, we, we have spent a month trying to build something beautiful and I believe we've done that. And then it was rejected and it's like fuck yeah. <laughs> you know yeah that's right and and i mean fourth i mean there's a lot of things happening uh i guess politically i don't the poli- not politically that's the wrong word but um lots of stuff happening at persephone that sort of tainted of course tainted that uh the reception of this show yeah to a certain yeah. degree, I think, um, and an all male cast. Just, I mean, that was, I guess, the thing. But um, I felt like it was such a great example of of um, um, men being kind to each other. Like, or mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Like, well, because it was an exploration of fragility, yeah. and it was an exploration in vulnerability, and it's what it made. It's why when I hear things like "oh, all male cast," it feels really disheartening because it's like, but this is to me the best version of that yeah. because it's not. And these three guys are being men, and they're gonna talk about butts and boobs, and they're gonna be men. It was like it was a deep analysis of very broken men who 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 were just struggling to hold on and 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 yeah i don't know i mean i i i understand the other stance i understand the other perspectives on it it just makes me sad because it was such a beautiful experience to be a part of right yeah there were valid complaints around uh i don't think around casting i think there were valid complaints around the idea of like a an all-male uh show the optics of it were very poorly yeah. managed. <laughs> However, the show itself, I think, is brilliant. And, yeah. I, and I think, yeah, we did a phenomenal job of it. And I do wish more people had seen it. You, you put out, when Jenica was away from home, mm-hmm. you did a beautiful cover oh. uh, on the guitar. I can't remember yeah. what the song was, but I thought it was really beautiful. Oh, thank you, you. Continue to do that? Do you do that privately and you just don't post them anymore? Um, 
Yeah. 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 I, um, yeah, that was, uh, my, my brightest diamond. I've never loved someone. Um, um, yeah, I actually, I had, so the aliens was actually the first time I ever sang in public. Um, Oh, thank you. That's really, that's really kind of you. I I really thank you for that. I, I mean, I, I guess I should say like, I mean, I was in musical theater in high school. So like I sang in like, you know, as Mr. Mayor who in the Seussicle, but like, I don't really count those because everyone was crap and, you know, and, 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 um, when I was in university, I, I, I took a Bob Dylan class, yeah. um, where I studied his like cultural impact and his sort of career trajectory. And I became really, um, enamored with the myth of Bob Dylan. And, um, so I taught myself, um, actually it took me years. So in, in university, I became really obsessed with him, but then I became also very overwhelmed by the, the, you know, the, the monument that is Bob Dylan, right? There's no, there's no touching him. And even when I started studying him, I was already older than he was when he was writing like his, some of his most iconic songs. And so I was already playing catch up and that really overwhelmed and disillusioned me, you know? And, and so I bought a guitar and then I got to, afraid of it. And so I took, um, I took probably, let's see if I graduated in 2010, it probably wasn't until 2015 or 16 that I actually genuinely learned how to play it. Um, it just sat in a case and just came with me wherever I went, you know? And, um, and then I finally, one new year's was like, fuck this, I'm going to learn. And, um, so I taught myself, you know, chords and then, and then every month I added a chord and I learned, you know, and, and after, you know, six, seven months I was playing little basic songs. And so, yeah, so for the last like four years, I've just been playing for myself and just like, um, I always, I, I always, again, it comes back to this thing of like, I wish I had had more bravery younger to pursue music because I've always felt a very, very deep kinship to music and a very deep expression through music. I, I, I think that's why I like poetry so much because it's like, it's, it's, it's such an integral, integral element of music is poetry. And, um, and so I figured, well, if I can't play instruments, at least I can write the lyrics, you know? (laughs) And, uh, and, um, yeah. So, so yeah, I had only ever sung in public as, as a, as an adult in the aliens. And that was a really, that was a super cathartic moment for me to, to sing that beautiful song and, um, and to be, you know, harmonizing with somebody whose voice was so powerful with mine, you know, and, and, um, and then, uh, and then, yeah. And then just kept playing to myself, you know, so I just would learn, I'd hear a song and I'd learn it. And, um, and then, yeah, and then that the reason I posted that song is just because, like, it was, you know, I felt I felt more alone that week than I think I've ever felt in my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, here's Jenica in Abidjan, and the world is shutting down. Yeah. And, and we already were so scared of her going because we didn't know very much. And so there was, and it was really last minute. She literally got the trip. I think in February and then she went in March. Like it was so fast um, that it was like just this whirlwind. And, and, and I felt crazy because everyone here was acting like business as usual. And, and I'm watching the news in Europe and, and Asia and I'm watching the rest of the world panic and shut down while Saskatoon is just like, let's go to the bar, you know? And um so I just needed to do something. And again, it was one of those things where I decided 
in the in the amount of time I have, I'm not going to be able to do you know something that I'm proud of with my writing. And maybe again, that's definitely my neuroses and not truth. But I figured I would just do that song and um, and yeah, and again, it was like a very powerful moment for myself, right? It was a very powerful learning moment for for my own art and my own creativity and and um i mean the reception was so lovely and it was so nice and and um you know and i tried to do a little bit more i did a a whole new world but then i was swearing in it and so all the parents were really upset with me and um, and then i just stopped doing it so i mean yeah i like i do it you know i do it for myself in my living room i'll i'll get drunk and i'll play a song and i'll really like it but i i i I kind of like it like that. I kind of like just playing music for myself and enjoying it for myself and not feeling the need to prove that I'm a musician to anybody because it, I do feel like, I feel like that ship has sailed in terms of like my creative potential. And so I just like to, you know, get drunk and play some Mason Jennings, right? Yeah. Have you ever turned any of your poetry into song? Into song? Your poetry? Um, no, I tried to years ago like probably like 2012 i tried to pair up with a friend of mine to to turn some poetry into music but it felt it fell flat almost instantly um we just weren't a good creative pair so it just didn't just did not work but um it's always been a thought and especially now with this year you know i have now that i've sort of you know that now that i've published stuff now that i've self-published and and created a body of work that i'm actually like proud of to show to the public. I've always thought about maybe going back and tweaking it, but uh, I don't know. Again, it just feels like another project to feel shitty about myself while doing. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, how about yourself? Do you sing? Do you, do you play instruments or? Uh, Nope, not at all. (laughs) No. (laughs) Okay. All right. (laughs) I bought, I, I bought a high guitar and uh to learn and then it's sat in the case for i don't know uh 15 years now i had one in university and then i sold it to make rent um right and then uh yeah and then i got one again with the intent of learning i spent like a week or two and then stopped and then yeah this year we bought a or last uh, christmas we got a uh a digital keyboard like it's like a it's got the 66 keys or whatever it is like sure. piano. and i have been taking some udemy classes oh yeah yeah for sure um just learning like simple chord progressions so i am interested in learning music i love music yeah. i have uh written like i uh i would write lyrics and then and then kind of like set them to song like Mm-hmm. <laughs> without you know i would sing stuff but i didn't have an instrument and i couldn't write it down um, right i see and, and i love music so much uh but yeah. i no, but i'm not and maybe that's maybe that's why i love it so much <laughs> right yeah because it's sort of this ethereal outside potential right yeah um yeah. you know you're talking about bob dylan and and uh, being intimidated by his creative output and mm. uh, have you ever li- you've listened to revisionist history with Malcolm Gladwell? Uh, yeah, I have. Yeah, they have an episode on uh, genius and long term genius and and momentary genius. You know, like flashes um, oh. of insight. And there's a story of Bob Dylan and Leonard Cohen getting together. And I think um, Leonard Cohen asks Bob Dylan, um, you know, I love. I think it maybe it was I shall be released. Or okay. 
it's one of them. Um, and just saying, you know, I love this. I love the song. Uh, how long did it take you to write it? And Dylan say, oh, I think I wrote it in, you know, 20 minutes. Yeah. And, and, uh, and Dylan saying, well, I, you know, I love hallelujah. How long did that take? And, and, uh, Leonard Cohen, uh, saying five years revisiting it and changing and yeah and i will say i mean not to like throw too much shade on anybody but i will say i think in retrospect in terms of long-term ability i think that leonard cohen maintained a far deeper talent in terms of lyricism and poeticism than than dylan did but uh but that's I feel like that's a discussion for a different episode. I feel like we should not <laughs> kick that yeah. hornet's nest right now. <laughs> you know, it's it's end of November now when we're recording, and um, life is different than it has been for any of us ever before. And so as we adapt and as we try to figure out what we're doing, um, what do you think it takes for you or for your friends, what do you think it takes to be a good friend moving into 2021? Oh, oh man. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, in, In what regard, like, like in regard to just the world people's like i feel like the the vulnerable thing is everybody's like mental health is in jeopardy yes Um, so maybe it's just uh checking in on people a lot more than usual you know you know because you know we talk i think in your last episode you talk about the importance of touch uh yes and uh and how you know if people not fortunate enough to have loved ones close like we do um, yeah. uh, it's got, it's gotta be hard. And so, yeah. yeah, just reaching out to people more. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a funny thing, right? Because it's like, I, I, it, it can be really ethereal and then it can be really concrete. And I'm not even entirely sure where the question truly falls in my intention, but it's this idea of if we believe we can be good friends, but we're also living in this world, that's just the most confusing, terrifying miasmic bizarro world that we've ever experienced what is like what can we do to keep each other level and sane and and um healthy right and i think you nailed it i think you nailed it really though it's just like like i think removing old anxieties right like we talked about the fear of reaching out and i think we have to get past that and we have to just we have to just accept that we're gonna have to we're gonna have to look a little dumb sometimes right (laughs) josh buddy it is just, it is so nice to catch up with you. I feel like I haven't had a chance to talk to you like this in ages. Oh, and yeah. it's just, I, I'm just so grateful, like not just for you being on the show, but I'm just, this sounds so cheesy, but I am just so grateful for you and for the friendship that you have provided me. And Thanks, um, James, you too. You know, you know, um, um, like I say, this one's going to hurt to have to unfriend you. But, <laughs> uh, but at the very least, we do have, you know, someday we will get to go to the yard and flag it again together. Uh, <laughs> okay, here we go. Here's one last thing we got to do. Joshua Beaudry, we are no longer Facebook friends. Oh, my God. Can you see it? Does it, like, refresh? Here. It, it, it literally didn't change, but let me see. Now it says add friend. 
Wow, there it is. And there's your cheeseburger <laughs> picture. <laughs> That's you know, man. That that cheeseburger moment was the best birthday I've ever had. Like, like, oh my god, it was incredible. Just that plate, that mountain. I'll I'll post it uh, as the as, as part of the promo for the episode. But like that mountain of cheeseburgers when it came around the corner, uh, I've never felt happier or more loved. <laughs> I mean, I, I've never wanted a cheeseburger more in my life than looking at this right? picture right now. <laughs> and that's it thank you one more time to josh for coming on the show i just friggin love the guy and i want nothing but the best for him and his incredible family and you know what I want the best for you and your incredible family, too. I hope you're all staying safe, staying well. I know it's a scary time, and I just hope you're all being gentle with yourselves right now. If you like the show, let your friends know. Share the links, review the episodes, tell the world about the magic of Friendless and your good buddy James. Don't forget to give the show a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It helps me out so, so much. I feel embarrassed doing this, but yes, this is the part of the show. I need to plug a few things that I'm selling this holiday season. Uh, The advent calendar is in full swing. If you are listening to this on the day it comes out, today is actually the first day of the calendar. Yes, you can still jump on late if you like. You will catch up on all the previous writing, and then you will get updated with all the new stuff going forward. Um, Today is also the first day of my new book, Butthead, being launched. Um... I am super proud of the whole collection, but especially these brand new poems. Um, I'm really excited to be sharing them all, and I think you're going to really enjoy them. Give them a shot. Take a look at what I've got. You can find everything at friendlesspod.com shop. Find me everywhere on social media at friendlesspod or on my personal account on Average Mango. Other than that, that's it for me. Next week is another dear friend that I have made in my time here in Saskatoon, Megan Kent. But that's then. This is now. So for now, take care of yourselves, and I will see you next week. Fun and safety, y'all.